Pastor Tony said, just give the choir a minute to get down and they won't distract you. But I promise you, after ministering in Brazil for seven years, nothing distracts me. Amen. I mean, my goodness, donkeys stick their head in windows and uh, babies walk around and all types of unexpected things happen. And I can just preach right through it without missing a beat. So don't you worry. I bring you greetings from number one, the board of directors of Link Up Missions, of whom uh, Pastor Tony is a part. We appreciate so much his willingness to help us and his insight as we try to navigate a path of bringing the gospel to a people that have never heard. Uh, we continue to be amazed at what God is doing in our little mission organization and the way he is bringing to us uh, resources in the, in the form of personnel, uh, men and women coming to us who want to be engaged in what it is that we are doing, and they are ultimately helping us to mobilize churches and connect them uh, to unreached people groups uh, around the planet. So we're grateful to see what God is doing, and it just blows me away to see uh, how He is working. I thank you for your part in this endeavor. I mean, it's a wild dream of ours, and you are right at the very heart of it. You help us financially without your contributions financially. We could not do what we're doing and could not see the things happening that we are seeing happen. So I thank you for that. And as a church, you are the model missionary church that we have involved in our network of churches whom we as an organization are mobilizing and connecting them to the unreached people group in Brazil known as the Quilombolas in an effort to bring the gospel to people who have never in the history of their existence had the truth of Jesus Christ. I describe you, thank you, I describe you as a church that is at the very point of the spear of our operations. You are farther out than anyone. You are in areas that are uncomfortable, both physically and areas that are uncomfortable spiritually. Because all of our methodologies are being challenged and we're constantly having to walk by faith with the Spirit of God in order to be innovative, to package the gospel in a way that will be effective among these people. For example... How do you share the gospel with a group of people who by and large are illiterate? It immediately takes the Bible out of your hand. Because if you go to a group of people who do not read and you begin to brandish books that are big and thick, immediately you've sent a message to them that they can't be a part of this because they do not have the ability to understand the written page. So it's very difficult for someone like me who has been trained to be an expository preacher to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord on the authority of the written word and to have that removed from you is a challenge. It's also a challenge to be able to present the gospel to these people in a way that they can reproduce it. Because ultimately what we want to do is go to a geographic area Present the gospel, equip these people to reach their own. Now, how do you do that when they do not read? Well, that's some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight when we have our time together. Methodologies of transmitting the gospel in an oral fashion that will eventually lead to an indigenous, self-propagating church planning movement. That's where you are as a local church, especially as it relates to the work that we are facilitating in Brazil. So thank you for all of that. I bring you a big Brazilian hug from all of our Brazilian partners. They have heard much about you. Even in places where you are not working personally, they have heard of you because we use you as an example and talk about you quite often. I bring you a big hug from the Quilombolas, many of whom have come to faith in Jesus Christ because you are a model missionary church. So I'm grateful to God to be here today among family and friends. And normally I would not say this in any preaching engagement, but since, we're, since we are family, I can say it. 
I don't know if I have ever been as discombobulated and unprepared to climb to the pulpit as I am today. Started very early this morning. I got up, began to look for clothes to put on and realized that I had left half of my clothes in Dothan, Alabama. Now, I don't know why you would ever wonder this, but let me just say to you today, don't go there. Don't wonder, what is the preacher wearing underneath his suit? You don't want to know. <laughs> I'm telling you. Because I left most of it back home. Then I realized as I got up, because this message, God has birthed it in my heart, or it's still in the process of being born. You're getting this right out of the delivery room. Pastor Rod asked if I had PowerPoint presentation. I said, man, I don't even know what I'm going to say myself. How can I have it on PowerPoint? It's still in process. And I got up and realized that I left the Bible that I had been marking up this week at home. I had to borrow my son's Bible. So here we are with the borrowed Bible. Most of my notes that I did make, uh, they're not with me. So this is what Pastor Tony said. He said, well, good. You can't get in the way today. <laughs> Whatever you get is going to have to come from him because I am thoroughly discombobulated and unprepared. But I do believe that God has given me in seed form a word for you today. And I know that the Spirit is going to communicate to you what it is that He wants you to hear and to have in your heart. So I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Now this is a lengthy passage of Scripture. And let's just, let's just break it up like this by me saying that this is Paul's final word to the church in Corinth, at least in this particular epistle. And he closes by giving them some, some instructions and some commendations that I think really fit you like a hand going into a glove. And being that it is such a lengthy passage, let me just summarize the first four verses by saying that Paul speaks to them about an offering that he wants this missionary church to receive because the saints in Jerusalem are in great need. So he gives some very good principles about Christian stewardship there in those first four verses. That's not our focus today, although it does make a part of the big picture in 1 Corinthians 16. Now, let's pick up in verse number 5. Paul says, but I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I'm going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you just now in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Now if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanos, that they were the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have devoted themselves to the ministry to the saints. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice in the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaeus. Because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. The model missionary church. You know, 
the church at Corinth receives a bad rap most of the time. Because Paul just had to get down to brass tacks with them in several places. And most of what we know about them is that they were a bunch that had divisions in their midst. They walked a lot of times, as we do, by preferences instead of spiritual principles. Uh, they had the issue of the charismatic gifts, and Paul has to write them and, and be kind of stern in some of those corrections. But I want to submit to you that this was just a real-life church that did indeed have its faults, as we all do. But I also believe that this was a model missionary church in the primitive world. Now, I want to make my case for that, and I want to lay the ministry of Michael Memorial right beside the ministry of First Baptist Church of Corinth. And I think you'll see how there are some, some, some things that are interwoven, and I think you'll see some things that will encourage your heart today. About three weeks ago, I received a phone call from one of my friends, and as soon as I answered the phone... This is what he said. He said, man, what is the deal with Michael Memorial? Now, let me stop the conversation on pause right there. Normally, when a conversation opens like that, it's not going down the way that you would like it to go. I mean, I've had those types of openings many times, and it's normally somebody wanting to air out a complaint or or, or, or lift their voice against something that they don't agree with. So I've learned how to handle those types of conversations. And this guy that called me, he's normally not one to do that. So I was really taken back by his opening statement. What is the deal with Michael Memorial? So I just kicked the ball right back into his court. And I said, man, I don't have a clue. What, what are you talking about? He said, well... He said, our church is in the process of redoing our web page. So he said, in the process, I thought we would just pull some random churches and look at their website in order to see how other churches are doing their websites. And he said, I, I landed on the homepage of Michael Memorial. And he said, I found that they are all over the map. Now stop it on pause right there again. I want you to see this model missionary church in, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, there are at least seven geographic regions mentioned. Notice what the scripture says. Verse number 1, Paul talks about Galatia. Verse number 3, he talks about Jerusalem, if you want to write them down or underline them. Verse number 5, he talks about Macedonia. Verse number 8, Ephesus. Verse number 15, he mentions Achaia. And then verse number 19, he mentions Asia. And then look, look at me, here's the cool one in verse number 6. He says, wherever I may go. He just opened up the entire globe to the, the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit as to where it was that he could go. Now, this is the first characteristic I think we see in a model missionary church. Number one, they have multiple kingdom connections. Multiple kingdom connections. This church was literally all over the map. Now, you see, they may not have been directly involved in the missionary work in some of them, but, oh, they were indirectly because they were a huge supporter of the Apostle Paul and his missionary band. They were connected in other places because, see, the other places were sending greetings to this church. So a model missionary church has multiple kingdom connections. Pick up the conversation again on the telephone. Man, Michael Memorial is all over the map. Now, again, this can mean many things, Brother Tony. I mean, you understand, he's still speaking in, in, uh, in parables, in uh, 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 metaphor. So I'm still not knowing which way he wants to go, so I'm just giving him more rope. I said, what do you mean all over the map? He said, well, I looked at their website, and he said, I see that they are involved in work in China. They're involved in work in Canada. They're involved in work in Belize. 
They're involved in work with the Sioux Nation. They're involved with work in Brazil. He said, do I need to go any farther? They are all over the map. Now I'm beginning to see where he's going. So I'm going to jump in and put a little fuel on this fire because this is the type of fires I like to see burn. See, normally I have a bucket of water sitting by me and a bucket of gas. Most of the time I'm throwing water on stuff. But here I'm wanting to fan this, this conversation. So I ask him, why is that so remarkable to you? And he says, how do they do that? Because here's a young man who's part of a church. He has been with us on the field. God is making a, a, a great missionary heart and passion in his life. And his church does everything in the world they can to throw cold water on him. And to stop him. And to get him focused right here on our own little piece of the puzzle. And on our own things. And, and to turn inward. And he's saying, how do they do that? It reminds me, church, of what the late, great Vance Havner said just before he died. This is what he said. He said, most modern Christianity is so subnormal until when somebody finally becomes normal, everybody else thinks they're abnormal. <laughs> so the fact that you are normal and the fact that you are all over the map has people thinking you're abnormal. What's going on with you? How is it that you can do this? Back to the conversation. How do they do that? So I pick up again and I say, well, it's because, number one, of leadership. I want you to see this in, in, in the Scripture again. I want to just lay this passage of Scripture right on top of Michael Memorial Baptist Church today. Because if there's ever a portion of Scripture that fits you, here it is. Notice what it is that, that Paul said. I want you to see this in verse number 3 and 4. He calls them, tells them to take up an offering. All right, don't call them. He, he, he sends this letter to them before he gets there and he tells them to... You can tell I'm a man of the modern world. Yeah, Paul just picked up a cell phone and said, hey guys. <laughs> I can't talk right now, but check out my Facebook page. <laughs> Got a message on there for you. No, he sent this letter. Look what he says. He says in verse number three, When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, had Paul not said that, I would have said he would have been a good Southern Baptist. You know why? Because Southern Baptists are good at saying, Take up an offering. Drop it in the mail and send it to us. And because of it, most Southern Baptist churches today are mercenary rather than missionary. They have some paid hired guns that they are supporting financially to go and do their work for them while they remain comfortable at home. But notice what Paul said. Paul refused to let this church just stay at the level of con contributing financially. Do you hear what he said? He said, you take up this money. And he told them how. And we could stay there for the rest of the time, but we're not. He says, and whoever you approved, he said, you're going to send, send them to Jerusalem with the money. Oh, wait a minute. You see, Paul refused to let them just be apart financially. He said, no, you're going to be missionary. And you're going to send somebody with it. And not only that, in verse number four, look what else he said. He says in verse number four, and if it's fitting for me to go also, they'll go with me. Here was Paul's mantra. Let me start first. Here's the mantra of most Southern Baptists. And again, I can talk about Southern Baptists because I am one. So, so here we go. Most Southern Baptists say, give us your money. We'll go do the work for you. Paul didn't say that. Paul said, give me your hand and let's go do the work together. And you see, that's exactly what we are trying to do at Link Up Missions. Man, there would have been a whole lot easier way to do it financially. 
There would have been a whole lot more expedient ways, but I believe with the core of my heart that the Great Commission is not given just to missionaries. It's not given to conventions or denominations. The Great Commission is given to the local church, and that's you. So what we are saying, thank you, brother. What we are saying is give us your hand. Let us join your hand with people who are living in darkness that do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are worshiping demons and are enslaved to traditions of dead ancestors and things of that nature. And let's watch the Holy Spirit bring life and light to these people because you are the authority in the Great Commission. Notice what else is going on here. I think this church was all over the map because of leadership. And can I say it's the same with you? It's it's no wonder that Michael Memorial is because it reflects the heart of the leaders and especially of Pastor Tony. Do you know there's nearly 46,000 Southern Baptist churches in our great convention today and about 90% of them have no personal involvement in international missions. I can't understand that. But I read a book the other day and it's what it said, Pastor Tony said, Southern Baptists are not missionary because Southern Baptist pastors are not missionary. The only thing they're worried about is what is in their own little world. And I have to say, I think that guy's right. So leadership has literally led you and pulled you all over the earth. And I want you to see some of the effects of that as we go on through this. But you know, there's something else. And uh, there's another reason. There was just something about the primitive church where the Holy Spirit just had the freedom to reign. Did he not? I mean, we're always seeing stuff he said and stuff the church did and and what happened because of it. Let me give you a brief rundown of it. But look with me in in Acts chapter 8. I want you to to see these scriptures right here. And and a little bit later on, you can go back and look them up and and study them. But notice Acts chapter 8. Look in verse number 26 first. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying... Go up and go south to the road of Gaza that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then look at verse number 29. Here it is. Then the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, said to Philip. Turn over just a couple of pages in the book of Acts to Acts chapter number 10. Acts chapter 10, verse number 19. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Now Acts chapter number 13 Verse number 2, notice what the Bible says. When they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, Acts chapter number 15, notice this in, in the letter that James penned and sent to the churches in Galatia. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden upon you than these essentials. Now, Three things that all these references teach us. Number one is, the Holy Spirit does speak. Does He not? It's almost as if the Holy Spirit here were the invisible, but yet very present and vocal member of those primitive congregations. And son, He had the freedom to speak and say whatever He wanted to because the church was listening to Him and they were willing to obey whatever He said. The second thing I want to show you about all of these scriptures is that every reference where the Holy Spirit said something personally to somebody, it had to do with taking the gospel to another people group who did not have the gospel. Now, I could stop right here and preach a minute. Maybe maybe we don't hear nothing more from the Holy Spirit or no more from Him than we do is because most churches have no interest in taking the gospel to people who do not presently have it. Unreached people groups. Church, we want to hear from the Holy Spirit. we got to be interested in what the Holy Spirit's interested in. And that's exalting Jesus Christ in the midst of people who have no access to His gospel. Son, when we get there, listen, Pastor Tony, he'll go to speaking. Because I want to tell you, he's a talkative character when you're wanting to listen to what he wants to talk about. If you don't have any interest in what he wants to say, he's not going to talk to you. He's not going to talk to you at all. Notice something else about this. Here's the third thing. And the Spirit had the freedom to speak in this church at Corinth. And He does at Michael Memorial. What He said to these people was totally 100% counterintuitive. 
It was opposite of natural human reasoning, Pastor Tony. Let me start with you in verse number 8. I mean, chapter number 8. Philip was in a revival. Samaria was repenting by the droves. And, and Philip was the lead preacher down there. He was the evangelist. And in that, Spirit of God tells him, Hey, Philip, got something for you to do. What is it, Lord? There's this one guy headed down toward Gaza. I want you to go meet up with him. What you want me to say? Well, I just, just go meet up with him. Here Philip is in a revival. Now all human reason was saying, God, that's one man. There are tens of thousands here responding. When I give the invitation, we hadn't sang the first hymn, the first stanza of just as I am, and they're filling the altars. Go join yourself to this chariot. Totally counterintuitive. Totally against common sense. Somebody said, you know, the problem with common sense is it's common. The Spirit says things that are uncommon. He says things that are unnatural. If you're waiting till you can figure it out according to human logic and reasoning, you will be bypassed in what He wants to do. Because He says stuff to you that sounds stupid and foolish and contrary to what ought to be good and right as we receive it and understand it in our human wisdom. Oh, His wisdom comes from above. Our wisdom comes from above, from beneath. You see, Paul said the natural mind does not understand, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, neither can it because they're spiritually discerned. Everything in the church and in the kingdom is spiritual and it's counterintuitive. Jesus himself, man, he turned, he turned the world upside down and saying things like this. Hey, you want to be great? Be the servant of many. Hey, you want to find your life? Lose it for me and the sake of the gospel. He said all types of things that are against human wisdom. This is what's going on here. Chapter 8, Peter was in a revival. Philip was in a revival. He said, leave. Chapter number 10, told Peter to go down to Cornelius. This man was a tanner. Jewish law said Jews don't have anything to do with those people. They're unclean. They're unholy. The law forbade him to go. The Spirit of God says, go. He went. Cornelius, his entire house was saved. Acts chapter number 13, Paul and Barnabas, there in the church in Antioch. They were leaders. Leaders, leaders. The church can't do without these men. The Spirit of God says, send them out. Send them out. By the way, the call didn't just come to Paul and Barnabas, came to the church. What if the church looked at you today and said, we heard the Spirit of God saying that you got to go. So we're sending you to Africa. We'll buy you a plane ticket tomorrow. We'd say, man, are you crazy? Spirit spoke to the church and he spoke through the church. Acts chapter 15, the same thing. Those guys down in Galatia. These Jews sent them a message. It was counterintuitive. It was against all of their heritage, against everything they had, they had ever learned about God. And the Holy Spirit leads them to send a letter and to embrace these churches and tell them, no, you don't have to be circumcised. All counterintuitive. And you see, that's the way it is today in church with missions. Listen, it's counterintuitive. We have to answer this question so many times. Brother Richie, why do I need to go around the world? There's lost people right here in my own community. You know the problem with that? It's common sense. It's common sense and you're using it as an excuse. Yeah, there are lost people here, but there's nobody here who's never heard. They got to be pretty strategic not to hear today. If they even get out of their house, they're going to pass by 10 or 12 Baptist churches. Huh? But there are places where they have none. We went to one church the other day and they told me how mission-minded they were. And I always want to find out, what does mission-minded mean to you? Because most, to most people it means nothing. It means we give a perfunctory tip of our hat toward missions once a year. We're mission-minded. I lie not. This is what they said. They said, Pastor, we've got a $1 million savings account. And every year, we give the interest off of that to missions. It was hard for me to keep a straight face. Listen, these people are literally going to pat themselves on the back all the way to a devil's hell. Thinking they've been doing the work of God and mission-minded. That's not counterintuitive. That's very commonsensical. 
We're going to keep our million and just give the interest. My goodness gracious alive. I bet if the Spirit were to say something to that church, He'd say, write me a check today for a million dollars. And quit depending on that and start depending on me. You understand, Matthew 25 talks about a man who received some money and he put it in the ground and buried it and did nothing with it. And when his master came back, he said, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. My word, i got to run. This, this great church, this model missionary church that is a paradigm for Michael Memorial, number one, had multiple kingdom connections. Number two, this church had many reasons to quit. Michael, listen to me. If you're looking for a reason to quit going, you don't have to go very far because they're everywhere. Look, let me show them to you in this passage of Scripture right here. Number one, look at the reasons. Verse number nine, you have demonic opposition. Demonic opposition. Look what Paul said. This verse is troubling to me. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me and there are many adversaries. You know what word in there is troubling? It's the word and. A wide and effective door of service has been opened to me and. Wait a minute, Paul. You ought to say, but. No, he says, and. You see, in Paul's mind, great opportunities always came with great adversity. Today, our mindset of an open door is this. If God wants me to do something, He'll open a door, make it very plain to me, and it'll be a primrose path with no stumbling blocks and no obstacles. So that's not an open door in Paul's mind. An open door, in an open door, listen, it's not just for a promotion at work. It's not to buy a new car or move to a new neighborhood. An open door is always about advancing the gospel. And that open door always comes with a ton of barriers. If that door were, were to be an open door, the Holy Spirit open, I'm telling you, the devil would lay obstacles all the way down that aisle for you to get out it. And most people today, their theology of the open door is this. Well, there's so many obstacles, this must not be God's will. No! Counterintuitive! There are so many obstacles till it's got to be God's will. And the devil's trying to stop you. So there's demonic opposition. But number two, notice what else there is. There's spiritual immaturity. You know why most churches aren't missional all over the map? Because of spiritual immaturity. Thinking like men. And look what Paul says here in these verses. I want you to see this in verse number 13. Paul says this. He says, be on the alert. Why? Because Michael, listen to me. You must be alert because the devil is not going to sit idly by and let you take the light of Jesus Christ into a place that's been in the grip of his darkness since the beginning of time. And you need to be alert. The word there is Gregorio in Greek. Anybody here named Gregory? Here's your name in Scripture. You know what it means? It means to be vigilant, be awake, be alert. And the word picture is if you've ever seen a deer when they're in high alert walking through the woods. That's the picture. Be alert. It means watch out. And it means watch yourself. Because here's how the devil works. The devil can only work in your life by right and by ground. And the Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, give no place to the devil. The word he uses there is the word topos. Same word that we get our topology map from. That means the lay of the land. Paul's saying this. He's saying, your life is like a hundred acre piece of property. And you can let the devil own it. But if you do, he's not going to take an acre up on the road front. He's going to take the very center acre. He's going to set up camp there and he might leave. But you see, anytime he has that center acre, he's got right away to get to it. So guess what's going to happen? Anytime God begins to use you, in missions, advancing the light of the gospel, and you've opened a door in your life maybe two, three years ago, and you've given ground and place to the devil, as soon as you get started, let me tell you what he's going to do. He'll say, wait a minute, I've got an acre in there, and he's going to come right back. And he's going to access what was given. Church, listen to me. You have made a frontal assault on the forces of darkness taking the gospel to people who do not have it, to men and women who can't even read. And I want to tell you something. Listen to me. He's going to try to stop you and destroy you. 
spiritual immaturity. He says, be on alert. Look what else he says. He says, stand firm in the faith. Verse number 13, stand firm. Here's the idea. The idea that this word picture gives, gives us is like, a, it's like a hurricane. And you're in the eye of it. And around you it's swirling 100 miles an hour winds. And you're watching this go around. And you know what your natural human instinct is in that scenario? To run. But if you run, you're going to be consumed. And that's what that word picture gives us. Stand firm. You see, somebody who's spiritual mature, they're on the alert for the devil because he's prowling around as a roaring lion, seeing who he can devour. We're giving him no ground. And we're standing firm. This is what God called me to do. This is what His Word commands. This is what His Spirit directed. And come what may, we're staying the course. That's what He's talking about. But number next, look, at, look, look what else He says. Here are the reasons to quit, man. Demonic opposition, spiritual immaturity. Look at this other portion of the spiritual immaturity that Paul brings out. Verse number 13. He said, act like men. Wouldn't you like to know what a man is in Paul's mind? Because son, if there was ever a man's man, it was the Apostle Paul. And he says, act like men. The word that he uses there means of or pertaining to men. Now, we tame the Apostle Paul down a lot in our English translations. We really do. He'd just come out and say what he meant. And I'm struggling with whether or not I really ought to say what the Apostle Paul said with this Greek word. But let me just say, men, what is it that makes you different from your wife, anatomically speaking? Now you understand what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, grow a pair. That's what he's saying. That's the word. And I want to tell you something. I've got a friend that says the Y chromosome is disappearing from the human landscape. I think it is. Never in my time have I seen men that don't act like men. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I was somewhere just the other day, and this is what a man said to me. He said, well, I just don't feel like, and I said, stop right there. What do you mean living your life by your feelings? Don't do that. What do you mean you don't feel? You live your life by your feelings and you're going to be an emotional wreck and a spiritual catastrophe your entire life. Paul's saying, act like men. Grow up. I'm telling you, I know a lot of spiritually mature ladies that are more manly than a lot of men I know. Because they're firm in the faith. They live according to God's Word. And this is what Paul is saying. Number next, i got to run because I'm, I'm, I'm almost done here. Man, a church that is all over the map, it's a model of missionary church like you, if you don't have a lot of reasons to quit today, they're going to come to you. And I'm telling you, Paul's saying, be alert. Paul's saying, Stand firm in the faith. He's saying, act like men. Look what else he says in verse number 15. I, I love this. He says, now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanos, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now look with me in verse 16. That you also, you may want to underline this word, be in subjection to such men and everyone who helps in the work and labors. You know what he's saying here? One of the oppositions to being a model missionary church is simply this. It's carnal leadership. Carnal leadership. Paul tells us who it is we ought to be following. And you know who it is? It's men who are involved in it. Men who have a heart. I love the word that he uses. Stephanos addicted himself. That's the, the King James word. Addicted himself to the ministry of the saints and his entire household. And Paul says this. 
be in subjection to those men. You know what that means? That means let these men be your leaders. Follow them. Watch their heart. Watch their walk. Subject yourself to them. So you know who it is that that really are the leaders in local churches? And this is what I find. In most places that we go, I find that there's a leadership inversion. That means men who are not spiritual are the ones in the official leadership positions because they've been there for 30 years. But the ones who are the movers and shakers spiritually, they can't do what they want to because there's a leadership inversion and there's a cap. And what has to take place is it has to be... And I want to tell you it is a fight against the devil himself for that to happen. Because these men that are carnal, they're thinking like men. Common sense. What's logical? Let's keep our million dollars in the bank and let's only give the interest. While men like Stephanos are saying, are you crazy? God didn't give us his money to save it for him. He gave it to invest it and to watch the gospel run around this planet. Let's do that. Spiritual men being subjection to them. Listen to your pastor. Listen to these men and women who have a heart for ministry and mission. And listen to me. That's just the biblical admonition of the Spirit. Let these people lead. Number next, and I'm done. A model missionary church, that's you, has multiple kingdom connections, has many reasons to quit, and finally, it has more reasons to continue. Man, you think there are a lot of reasons to quit? They don't even come close to all the reasons that you have to stay the course. To even go farther and faster than you've ever been. Instead of decelerating, accelerating. Listen to what the Scripture says in verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. Paul says, oh, wait a minute. This is not my Bible. It doesn't change pages while I wasn't looking. I was about to read you verse 17 from some other book of Scripture. Chapter 16, here we go. Verse number 17, Paul says, I rejoice over the coming of Stephanos and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Here are your reasons to continue. Number one, they supplied what was missing on the field. You see what Paul said? Look what he said. This missionary group that went out from First Baptist Corinth, Paul says, they have supplied what was lacking. Listen to this. On your part, on your part, what was lacking on the part of the church. Now, stop and think about this. If there are 45,000 Southern Baptist churches and 90% of them are not engaged anywhere beyond their own field, how much do you think is lacking out there? My goodness. No wonder we're losing the war. No wonder Islam is running rampant around this planet. No wonder militant Islamic soldiers are shooting Christians in the head by the hundreds every day in Afghanistan and Iraq. Because there's so much lacking on the field. And the Bible says these men, they supplied what was lacking on your part. Man, I love that. Michael Memorial, stop and think what would be lacking just in Brazil if you had not gone if you were not engaged and not involved, I can think of about three places right now where there would be no church. I can think right off the top of my mind of about 50 or 60 people who probably still would have never been born again if you hadn't gone. Think about the void there would be if you were not doing this. Man, they supplied what was lacking. On your part, I love it when Paul says that, but number next and I'm done. They supplied what, yeah, y'all hear you laughing. They supplied what was missing on the field, but number two, they supplied what was necessary in the fellowship. 
Look what Paul says. He says, For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's writing to the church. The missionary band left the church. They went to where Paul was. We can understand how they refreshed his spirit. But guess what Paul says? Paul says, no, they refreshed your spirit. You see, there's something spiritually unexplainable about being involved in missions. Every time somebody goes, the Spirit of God refreshes this fellowship. Can't explain it, but that's what He does. Because you are finally listening and obeying and modeling His heart when He speaks. He speaks about people who do not have access to the gospel. And when you do that, He refreshes this church. Every time a team goes out, the Spirit of God supernaturally refreshes this congregation and Michael Memorial because somebody's on the field in China from here. And He refreshes you and blesses you. Man, I'm telling you, I believe with every ounce of my being that if revivals to come to the church in the United States of America again before the end, it's going to come through the door of missions. I don't know if there's another place in Scripture where a church has been refreshed other than involved in Great Commission work. And Paul said, they've come, they refresh my spirit. But these men refresh your spirit too. The spirit supernaturally refreshed you because they came. And let me give you three quick ones on, <laughs> you knew, didn't you, on how this happened. Well, number one, this church was refreshed because of the edifying flow of ministers that came back from the mission field to this church. I mean, look at the ministers that came. Number one, the Apostle Paul came. And what did Paul bring? Colossians 1.28, Paul brought encouragement to the saints. That's the mission field coming to your house. Number two, Apollos came. He said, I'm going to send Apollos. What did Apollos bring? Apollos brought eloquence in the Scripture, Acts chapter 18. He was a mighty man in the Scripture and eloquent. He came from the mission field to that church and God refreshed that church because of Paul and Apollos. But he also says, I'm sending Timothy. What did Timothy bring to Corinth? He brought an example of service. Paul said, I have no man in Philippians chapter 2 who will care for your state. He was a servant. Man, I want to tell you, when you send folk out, folk normally come back. I can't tell you how refreshed my church was by personalities who came to us that we connected with on the mission field. That's happening to you. Oh, I hope to bring... In the next six months, I hope to bring several folks that you've connected with on the mission field here, and they're going to refresh you. I hope soon that we have our missionary on the field, Rafael, many of you know. I hope we have him here. Pray for his visa. I hope the first of 2015 we have Adilton. Adilton, follow name Yuma Palavan in English. He doesn't speak the first word of English. We'll have to translate for him. But son, even if we didn't translate, the Spirit would refresh you through this man's spirit. All of that's coming back here to refresh you. So how was that church refreshed? Number one, by the edifying flow of ministers who came. But number two, by the constant flow of members who went. There was a constant flow of people. Look what Paul says. Let me show you this in this passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul points it out several times. He says, he says for, for he's going to be coming with the brethren. Who are the brethren? It's the missionary folks from the church. He says about Apollos and Timothy, for I'm going to send him with the brethren. There was always a contingency of people from First Baptist Corinth on the mission field, the brethren. Pastor Richie, what's the deal with Michael Memorial? Man, they are all over the map. May it be said about you the way it was said about the British Empire several centuries ago that the sun never sets on Great Britain because they had colonized the world. May it be said that the sun never sets on Michael Memorial. Because while you are here ministering today, there's a team on the other side of the world in China. There's another team in Thailand. There's another team in Brazil. There's another team in Belize. There's another team in West Africa. The model missionary church. May God refresh your spirit. May He cause your family to multiply. 
and may he glorify his son because of the missionary heart he's birthed in Gulfport, Mississippi. Just stand with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for this. My family, thank you, God, that when I come and preach here, it's not just things that are theoretical, but things that are actually working out, and we have live examples of what the Scripture talks about right here because this church has taken to heart the directive of the Spirit and the command of the Scripture to take the gospel around the world. So every facet of this church, God reflects your heart and what it is that you want to do through your people. So God, I pray for them. I pray that you will help them to be alert, knowing that the devil wants to sift them like wheat because of it. And I know, God, they'll be faithful to stand firm. And I pray, God, that there will be folks that continue to embrace not only the call, but the call to do things that are counterintuitive. I know our flesh tells us sometimes that mission is just a liability. It's a drain on our budget. We could use that money here. Yet the Spirit of God says, no, I'll refresh you and bless you beyond measure. Send it. So God, I pray for folk who are here that today they may have heard something that doesn't make sense. It's totally counterintuitive, outside their comfort zone. Maybe it's about being born again. The Bible says, unless you become as a little child, you shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. So today it's about a humbling, saying, Lord, it's, there's no way I can explain this, but I know the Spirit said it to me. And maybe you're calling people to yourself by faith. Maybe you're calling people today to leave good careers, good jobs, families and homes and security and comfort for the unexpected on the mission field. So God, I pray today that there will be folks that are doing things that are counterintuitive, that are against common sense, but mesh very well with what the Spirit of God says. So Lord, I pray that you continue to refresh this, my family, this, my church. I know you will because your word says you do that as we take to heart your commission. And I pray today you bless everyone who is faithful enough to say in their heart, I'm putting my hand to the plow and I'm all in from this moment forward. So God, be pleased, be glorified. May this church minister to you as you minister to them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.